0: You know, I think the only thing out of that entire video that's not shocking is that last line, right? That we just pretend like it doesn't exist. It's the elephant in the room. It's something that we just don't talk about, right? But you see, it's, people will say, well, what's the big deal? It's it's a victimless crime, right? Well, aside from the sex trafficking, which actually does happen in that industry quite a bit, it's so much so that there is destruction in the heart, And in relationships. Jesus actually talks about this on the Sermon on the Mount. You see, Jesus, uh, in the beginning of both Matthew and Luke, He uh, is preaching and teaching to these crowds of people. And one of the the first things that He does is He takes um, a lot of the Ten Commandments. So He says things like this. He says, you have heard that it was said. And then He lists a commandment like, for example, you shall not murder. And that's referencing the Ten Commandments. But then he'll say this, and and for most people sitting in that audience at the time would think to themselves, thou shalt not commit murder. Oh, okay. Well, I haven't done that. Check, move on. And honestly, that's how whenever a lot of us read the Bible, for sure myself for several years, whenever I would read the Bible, that's how I would think too. I think to myself, oh, great. You know, I haven't, I know I shouldn't do this, but I haven't done that. I have not physically taken a gun out or a sword or something and murdered someone. And so I'm good in this area. But if you were here last week, Pastor Wayne talked about it. And what Jesus actually has to say about murder, he says that that whoever holds a grudge or whoever spews hatred, that he will be liable to the fires of hell. Talking about how it's almost like it's, it's not just an action, but it's a heart issue. Is what Jesus is getting at. And so for those who are listening to the Sermon on the Mount and they hear Jesus say things like, you have heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you that whoever does this has committed murder in his heart, basically. Then suddenly it applies to everyone. Suddenly everyone in the room can recognize times where they've hold grudges or spewed hatred. And so Jesus actually does the exact same thing with adultery right after that. He said that it was, you have heard that you shall not commit adultery. And he's quoting the Ten Commandments, which is the series that we're in right now, God's Top Ten. But then here's what he says about adultery. He says that if ever you look at a woman lustfully, then you've committed adultery in your own heart. And so it's a heart issue. It's a mind issue. It's a lust issue. It's not just a, the physical act of all, going all the way, committing adultery. And so really what Jesus is talking about here when it comes to adultery is, is this whole idea of sexual immorality. And it's, it's everything that's outside of God's boundaries for what he has created for marriage. And so, so here's the thing. A lot of people, especially when they hear this commandment, think to themselves that God is prude, right? That God is somehow uh, against sex, that, that God is um, just wanting us not to have fun in life or to um, explore or to discover things. And instead, what, what God has done actually, God has actually designed marriage. And God has actually created sexuality. And so what He commands us, though, He commands us to live within these boundaries, and that if we live within these boundaries that He has designed, that He has created, that we're going to have life, and we're going to have life to its fullest. It is for our good. And so Jesus actually talks about God's design for marriage. And so if we go to this slide right here, we can see this. This is in Matthew 19. And Jesus answered, and and what He's going to define marriage here, by the way, is between one man and one woman. And that, and that sexuality should only exist within those boundaries. And, and I got to say that this is important because so many people in our culture today, we think that we can define marriage however we wish. We, we, we say that, well, I think it should be this. So then we define it that way. Or I think it should be this. So we define it that way. But the only one who really gets to define marriage is the one who created it. And so if we look at God's design here, here's God's design for marriage. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. So now Jesus here is quoting the Old Testament. This actually goes back to the very beginning of time. It goes back to the very first page of the Bible, Genesis 1.27. And so he has created them male and female. So we have one man, one woman. We have complementary genders here. One man, one woman, male and female. And then he said, therefore. Now here's here's a, a, a pro tip for you as you guys read the Bible. Are you ready? Any time that you see the word therefore, what you need to do is you need to back up and see what the therefore is. Therefore. So here's what I mean. So the therefore, they call this, uh, nerds call this a purpose clause. All right. But what I'm saying though is this, is that, that What happens before sets up, and gives purpose to what's going to happen. So we have the one man, one woman. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. What God therefore has joined together, let not man separate. So what God is doing here is he's designing marriage. And he is defining marriage, and he's instituting marriage within these boundaries right here. And the whole premise, the whole reason, so he's actually combining two verses. The second one here is from Genesis 2.24, and he's combining them, saying that it is the design, the one man, one woman, that institutes this thing called marriage. And so this is Jesus' design. And and anything that's going to be outside of that is going to be sexual immorality. And it's going to apply to this uh, commandment here. And so this could include premarital sex. It could include lust in general. It could include same-sex relationships. But here's the deal. Think about it this way, is that God has given this for our good. And that if we stay within these boundaries, that how much healthier and how much better our marriage is going to be. One statistic I heard, and this is one that kind of makes me want to uh, throw up a little bit and then wash my hands, all right? But it's the statistic that the number of partners before someone is married is now 27. 27. The number of sexual partners before marriage is 27. And so just, just, so just think about it this way. Some people say this, they say, well, you know, I'm gonna party, I'm just gonna get out of my system, which by the way, is not how it happens. You're actually patterning yourself. You're not getting anything out. You're, you're creating a pattern for yourself but let's, let's go with this logic for just a second. And then you say to yourselves, okay, well, now I'm going to settle down, and now I'm going to commit to this person. And so here comes the wedding day, dun-dun-dun-dun, dun dun, ta, dun, dun, ta, dun okay. And sure enough, it's, it's your wedding. And, and just to think that you are bringing the baggage, the mistakes, the hurt, the pain of 27 sexual partners into your new marriage versus just not having any of that baggage, and and doing things God's way, and saving yourself and waiting. Just just think how different that marriage is going to be. You see, after all, God knows best, and so He's the one who created it, and He knows best. But you see, this morning what we're going to do is we're not going to dwell on the past. You see, I think that we can all uh, relate to this commandment, and especially the way Jesus opens up the implication talking about lust. Um, being a defining factor of this, that we can all raise our hands and say, you know what? I've been there. I've, I've absolutely broken this commandment. And so really, uh, what we're going to be looking at is, is we are going to be looking at um, about how Jesus has forgiven us of our sins. And, and because of the cross, uh, that He wants to give us this, this newness of life, that if we go to Him in confession and we say, God, I'm sorry for, for these mistakes that I made, and we, and we apologize and we repent of them, and we believe what He did for us on the cross, that He promises to forgive us and to give us this fresh start, to give us this new life. And so really what we're going to be doing for the next well, we'll say 15 minutes, how's that sound, is that we're going to be really talking about how, with this fresh start and with forgiveness, about going forward and about how we can avoid temptation so that way we do not end up in the same past mistakes that we have made. All right. So in order to avoid temptation, we're going to be looking at a few things. The first one here is to make a commitment to keep God's standards. Make a commitment to keep God's standards. So in advance that we have to be willing to say, God, I want to do things your way. I want to do what what the Bible says. And this is why, especially if we're talking about this area of adultery. And if you're single, or if you're a student in high school or middle school or something, you may think to yourself, yeah, but, you know, this doesn't apply to me. Oh, yes, it does. Because already the decisions that you're making right now is going to set you up for your future actions. And so in advance, you need to be willing to say, God, I want to do things your way. Psalm 119 even talks about this. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word. And so here's the deal. You're going to build your life on someone's standards, Uh, whether you think it's going to be your own or your friend's standards, or maybe it's a celebrity who's um, advocating some sort of values. You're you're going to eventually build your life on, on some sort of values, on some sort of standards. And and especially if you just kind of go along with our culture, uh, it's amazing to see how we have such a hookup culture these days. And when I say a hookup culture, I'm talking about one-night stands. There, there's even um, apps that are being made now. And, and there's probably, uh, you know, a few years ago, there was probably a dozen, and now there's probably triple that. But it's amazing at how many social media apps are, are out there that are designed just for hooking up, just for one night stands, where you can log on and you can find people around you that are willing to have a one night stand. If it feels good, do it. It's amazing at how God has instituted this thing called marriage and and talks about and defines uh, sexuality within the boundaries of marriage. And yet, by and large, as a culture, we can take something that is so sacred and take something that is so God-ordained and we can just take it and just, just throw it away just like it's something that's cheap, just like it's trash. And that's so much of what our culture does here. And so really, if I could speak into you for just a second, it's that live differently. I mean, live differently than the rest of our culture. Don't have 27 partners. Live according to God's standards. Now, some would say that, you know, if God loved us, well, then He wouldn't restrict our freedom the way that He does. But actually, It's entirely the opposite, right? It's only because He loves us that He gives us these boundaries to protect us. After all, He's the one who created it, so He knows best. So the second thing to do here is to manage your mind. Manage your mind. James 1 talks about this. He says, Temptation is the pull of our own evil thoughts and wishes. These thoughts lead to evil actions. So basically what this means is this, is that the battle begins in the mind. I mean, after all, look at, look at how salesmen do sales pitches at work, right? They'll say things like, well, you don't have to buy it, but just, but just put on the jacket. J- just see how it feels, right? Or we say things like, just, just have a sample of this ice cream or take it, just take it for a test drive you don't have to commit anything, just, just take it for a test drive. And what they're doing here is they're appealing at your emotions. Because if they can get you emotionally bought in, then you're done for, okay? And, and that's how sales works, is they're all about emotions. They're all about appealing to get you with your emotions. And so here's the thing, is that thoughts determine feelings, and feelings determine actions. So if you want to change, so if you're listening to this this morning and you're saying to yourself, man, I've made mistakes in the past and I don't want to go back, then you need to change your thoughts. Matthew five twenty-eight. this is where Jesus had, had we talked about it earlier, but this is where it is in the Bible. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in, a, in his heart. And so the bottom line is this, that adultery starts in the mind. So we need to manage our mind. The third thing that we need to do here is to monitor your media intake. Monitor your media intake. It's it's absolutely astonishing just how bombarded we are with this sex-saturated society. We're bombarded with ads, songs, images, movies, TV shows, and everything is just about sex. There is uh, this study that came out of Michigan State University, and this was even a few years ago, so I'll bet it's even worse now. But it said this, the average teenage girl has watched 1,500 sexual acts or references by the time that she graduates high school. Now, teen boys were actually 100 less because they didn't watch soap operas. (laughs) Go figure. But here's the thing. If that, if you have thousands, and I'm talking, this isn't just hundreds. We're talking thousands now of, of images, of, of songs, of movies, TV shows, references, all being poured into you. You got to think that that's going to affect you on some level. It absolutely has to. The, the thought that, well, I can just watch whatever or listen to whatever, but you know, it's not going to actually affect me. It, is going to affect you. It is absolutely going to affect your heart, and consequently affect your actions. Jesus even said that the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? See, Jesus is talking about the eye being the lamp of the body, about how it's the first stop, right? Jesus also said this in our our reading this morning. He said that if your right hand is causing you temptation, cut it off. Because it's better that that you go to heaven without a a right arm than it is to end up in the pits of hell with a right arm. And, And He said the same thing. If your eye is tempting you, then gouge it out, because it's so much better to not compromise your eternity over it. Now, he's speaking hyperbolically here, okay? Not advocating that anyone should go home and actually do that. But is he, is he wrong? And he's absolutely not wrong. He's talking about rooting out temptation in your life at all cost, because what's at stake? Our eternity is at stake. And, and so why compromise it? Jesus also said this. He said that only a fool would gain the entire world. So just imagine if it didn't it just stop there, but imagine you had the whole world in your palm. You're the richest, most powerful person in the world. What, what gain is there to gain the entire world, but lose your soul? Because your soul is all of eternity. So, so here's the deal. Whenever we talk about this area, about monitoring, or excuse me, yeah, monitoring our media intake here, Uh, one thing that we can really do is we can look at the areas in which we receive these images. And, And so, for example, if you're watching a movie and you just think to yourself, whoa, I was not expecting the movie to be like this. Well, you know what? Stop watching it. Uh, Even if you have to walk out of the theater and it costs you $10, which by the way, you can usually get your money back with that. But even if it does cost you $10, so what? It costs you 10 bucks. But it doesn't cost you any more than that. It's not going to cost you anywhere around your eternity. Think about um, even in the area with the, the video that started off talking about pornography. And the whole time I'm watching this video and the statistics are so high and they're so damaging, I just think to myself, yeah, but it can be prevented. And here's what I mean. Is that did you know there's there's a whole industry dedicated towards blocking and monitoring your activity on both on the internet, but also on your phone and different apps that you have. There's a whole entire industry. In fact, I was researching that for for this sermon here, and I got to tell you that I I was just overwhelmed with the number of companies that are out there, and they all kind of do the same thing, but they all do things just a little different. Uh, But I got to tell you that one of my favorite ones, was Covenant Eyes. And, and, and guys, I'm telling you, write this down. Covenant Eyes, okay? Covenant Eyes. And, and what they do is, is um, it, it, it not only blocks your content, but it also monitors it. And so here's what I mean. See, a lot of uh, parental control stuff, if you're the parent, you can just simply turn things on or off, right? But with this, what you do is you actually have an accountability partner. And and actually, they have access to enable or disable things. So you can't just simply go on your phone and enable or disable. In fact, they're so nerdy, they've actually got something called a VPN, a virtual private network that goes into your phone. And so that way, you can't just enable or disable things. But but here's what's so cool about it, is that not only does it prevent things from coming up, which the statistics about how how kids accidentally see things that are inappropriate uh, should be reason enough. But on top of that, not only does it block it, but here's the deal. If you try to search for something or you try to log in to certain websites that are flagged as inappropriate, then what happens is it sends an email to your accountability partner. And, and you can select who your accountability partner is. So it could be like your grandma, for example. All right, let me tell you, Thanksgiving is gonna be super awkward, okay? But, but, but even things like, how about, how about Pastor Mike as your accountability partner? I guarantee you this. You are not going to be tempted to log onto something inappropriate knowing that Pastor Mike is gonna receive an email about it. Can we all get an amen on that? Yes. It's just not going to happen, all right? And so here's what I love about Covenant Eyes. And there's a dozen and more websites that all do the same thing. But what I love about something like this is it just shuts down the ability to even be tempted. You know, we say in the Lord's Prayer, Lord, lead us not into temptation. What we're really saying there is we're saying, God, I just don't even want to be around temptation. And so whenever you set yourself up for temptation, then all of a sudden it's easy to fall into that habit, isn't it? But if you just cut that off from the beginning, and it's not even possible, or if it is possible, it's just going to make showing up at church super, 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 super awkward, looking into Pastor Mike's eyes and see he watches you walk by, all right? I'm just saying that it's just, it's going to root out that temptation. It's absolutely going to root out that temptation in your life. And so, really, the fourth thing that we should do, which I've already basically talked about, but it's this, is that we need to minimize the opportunities for temptation. Jesus talked about this in the garden. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so here's the deal. So if you're dating someone and you're tempted to go too far, then just don't ever be alone. I mean, you got to set yourself up in situations that things just cannot happen, and then you'll never be tempted. I mean, so that's the deal. If you're always in public or in group settings, just nothing's going to happen, right? If you're on a business trip, you need to find out what your weaknesses are and make sure that you avoid certain situations. So the, the deal around this one is just look at your surroundings, your job, your friends, things that, anything that brings you into temptation, just root it out, cut it out. I mean, after all, if you're an alcoholic, you should not be working at a bar, right? There's just too much temptation. Um, but I will say this: that it, it's like many people just think to themselves, "Well, I don't need any help. I can, I can, I can manage myself." But, but we all know that that's not true. That whenever we set ourselves up for failure, that it's easy to fail. Uh, did you know? Just it sounds like it's a tangent, but I'm going to come back. Are right, Are you ready? But did you know that there's like 30 plus deaths every year in the Grand Canyon? Do you know that? And it's usually around the winter time. So it's not necessarily this time, but whenever there's ice around. And so here I am, I'm just trying to imagine this. Okay. So I show up at the Grand Canyon, there's ice everywhere. There should be a red flag, right? That says, don't go near the edge, right? There should be something that says that, but it's Apparently, it's tempting to get right to the edge and look down, even with all the ice, knowing the possibilities of slipping and falling. But then there's also the guardrails. Well, the guardrails also have ice on them. So I guess what people do is they sit on them or they pose a certain way for that perfect Instagram picture. And whenever they do so, whenever they set themselves up, whenever they get so close to the edge, they think that they can control themselves. But it comes down to a point where they just lose control. And so I ask myself this, whenever we talk about temptation, why get to the very edge of the Grand Canyon? Why not take a step backwards and just, it's impossible for you to fall into temptation. So then the last thing that we need to do here is to to fight off temptation, is to magnify the consequences. And really, whenever you're in the midst of temptation and you're battling temptation, and Satan's right there in your footsteps, it seems like, this is a very valuable thing, because what it does is we, we often think to ourselves, and Satan's going to tempt you with this. Well, if you do it, it's no big deal. Man, you're going to get away with it. It's, it's not a big deal. And, and so what we need to do is we need to remember that, oh no, there are consequences to sin. And, and that if we do this, we have the potential of, of destroying our marriage, that we have a potential of destroying relationships, for sure destroying our heart. And and so, one way to fight off temptation is just to realize that there's consequences. And really, part of it, you should just ask yourself, hey, is it worth it? Is is what I'm going to do, I mean, is it really worth it? Because isn't that what Satan does? Satan always gives you this promise that says, if you do this, you will be fulfilled and you'll be happy. But we all know that whenever we enter into sin, that we're not fulfilled. We're not happier than we were before. In fact, now we feel guilty, and now we feel let down. So Satan's always going to give us this promise, this, this lie, and he's always wrong about it. And so James 1 talks about this. He says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So going back to our video, it opened with just talking about basically addiction. And really the way that I've even heard addiction defined was, was uh, three hours a week on pornography. And the statistics were saying that 50% of men are addicted to pornography of, uh, yeah, Christian men. And whenever we talk about this area of addiction, it's, it's, it's slavery is what it is. Jesus actually says this. He says that whoever sins is a slave to sin. And for those who keep falling back into those old habits and those patterns, for sure feel that way. But Jesus said this as well. He said that if you know the truth, you will be set free. And then later Jesus says that I am the way and the truth, the life. And so what Jesus is saying here, he's saying that if you know the truth, you'll be set free and that Jesus is the truth. In other words, if you know Jesus, if you have a relationship with him, if you trust him with your life, you believe that he died on the cross for you and that on the cross that he took our sins, your sins, my sins, everyone's sins on the cross and that we come to him and we say, God, I'm sorry for these things. That he promises to forgive us and and he promises to set us free. And, and just to experience that, that freedom, to experience the Holy Spirit being poured into us to overcome temptation. See, it's not just us battling this on our own, but rather we got God on our side, that God can give us strength. God can give us power to overcome temptation. And so that we can live within this freedom that He has given us, within the boundaries and the design that He has created. And all God's people said, Amen. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, indeed, we we recognize that many of us in this room are are tempted in this area. It is is one that we can all relate to. And yet, Lord, we can just as well think back to how Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, and how He fought off Satan was, was through Your Word. And so, God, we pray that that as we go into our work weeks or we go into summer break, Lord, that we can apply Your Word to our lives. Lord, that we can use Your Word to battle Satan and just recognizing, Lord, that it's You who give us strength to overcome temptation. So, Lord, we just pray that we rely on You more and more that way. In all this we pray. Amen.